0: Are you looking for adventure? Do you want to find peace? Long distance trails offer you freedom and discovery. They offer a way to connect to yourself and to the world around you at the same time. The most popular trails have become crowded, but there are so many other trails that have plenty of space. The Trails Around the World podcast is here to introduce you to new trails and to new types of trails and to expand your horizons. Join me as we explore finding out what is possible and how to do it. Welcome back to the Trails Around the World podcast. I've got several episodes that I'm working on right now, so we are back. Thank you for your patience during my hiatus over the past several months. We have moved from Japan to the United States and are now living in New England in the United States. This episode will be about the Kumano Kodo's Kohechi Trail. You may have listened to the earlier episode about the Kumano Kodo, which was on the Omine Okagake Michi. Kumano Kodo is a set of pilgrimages in Japan. Many people, when they refer to the Kumano Kodo, are referring to just one of the trails, the Nakahechi. But there are, I believe, four other trails that are also part of the Kumano Kodo. So it's a, it's a set of pilgrimages which all end in Hangu Taisha. In other words, pilgrims, pilgrims would be coming from different directions and they could use any of these trails to get there. This episode Is actually the the hikers on this trail were myself and a friend so the recording circumstances were different than usual I recorded most of this interview in a hotel room with my friend using a smartphone therefore the audio quality is not as good it was recorded in mono not stereo and there are many imperfections in in that audio quality so please be patient with that i've gone through and and you will undoubtedly hear as you listen when i tried to modulate the volume up and down i'm sure i did better in some places than in others but i tried to make it so that you didn't have to strain to hear uh and i also don't want to deafen you at the same time so hopefully um it uh, it works out in terms of audio quality. The Kohechi is the second most difficult of the several Kumano Kodo routes, and uh, my friend and I discussed that a bit. I should also mention that my smartphone did uh, actually lock up at one point, or one or two points during the recording at the end of living in Japan, uh, I was waiting to buy a new smartphone when I returned to the u s so <laughs> the uh, the phone was on its last legs and it it uh it recorded all right, but uh, it had some issues with memory uh, along the way. So the Kohechi is regarded as a four day route. One starts at Koyasan, which is uh, in itself a, a substantial religious destination on the just south of Osaka and the Kohechi runs south from Koya um and it's as I said regarded as four days but we really found that it was more likely three and a half days and and there are people who do it in two days um although that's verging on running. Um, but many Japanese do do it in, in a substantially shorter time um, in, in the somewhat of the, the fast-packing or trail-running uh, mindset. Now, we did it backwards. <laughs> and when I say backwards, I mean we started at Hangu Taisha, traditionally the destination, and we hiked to Koya. We did that for logistical reasons because we were both living nearby and we wanted to be able to get home easily at the end. And it's easy to get to Koya and it's not easy to get to Hongo Taisha. So that might lead to some confusion as you listen, but uh, hopefully that explanation will help you understand what we're saying, uh, what we're talking about. Now... Uh, we recorded it, our interview with ourselves um, during the hike. So the our fourth day, which is traditionally the first day, um, of course wasn't covered by that. So I will um, quickly summarize that in a moment. Overall, the hike was less challenging than either of us expected. It did not... In our opinion, live up to its reputation in terms of the physical challenge, which was okay. It was a beautiful trail. it is certainly more challenging than the Nakasendo, and we both had a terrific time so i I think the some of that is actually uh, do not be put off by the reputation it has for being tough, um, because it's less tough than its reputation. It is still challenging, and there's a good deal of walking along almost sheer drops um, uh, in, in the mountains. After the first day, the, the next three days one way of thinking of them is that they are ascending about 1000 meters or 3000 feet and then descending back down so the the days 2 3 and 4 are up and over um 1000 1100 meters every day um up down up down up down and almost all of it is is very beautiful And it is not crowded at all. We saw, we we talk about this, but we saw between half a dozen and a dozen people a day during the busy season. The Nakahechi, on the other hand, it's very difficult to find lodging. We didn't have any trouble finding uh, space. um, But finding lodging near the trail is moderately challenging i don't have a lot of really good advice on finding lodging for this i know that there's a service run by the prefecture which helps hikers find lodging along the nakahechi the person i was hiking with uh, matt malcolmson uh, used to own a tour company so he he was very capable of finding lodging and, and I can't just pretend that uh, anybody else can do what he did. Um, so you may, may need help, uh, to find lodging. Uh, in particular, the middle night of the, of the trip, there's, there are only one or two places to stay in the traditional stopping place. Um, which, in a way, makes it easier because there aren't many choices, <laughs> but where we stayed, they didn't speak any English, if that's a limitation of yours, and therefore, you might need help to make the booking we We also booked a an airbnb near Taisha. I discussed the the buses in and out and and i would I would like to add a comment about the buses, and that is that the bus that runs between Hongutaisha and Nara is a different kind of bus and is far more pleasant to sit on, the seats are better, than the bus that runs from Hongutaisha out to Tanabe, which is a local style bus with pretty unpleasant seats and it's a three hour ride. The ride out to the north is, I forget, but I think four or five hours. It's a long bus ride. And if you are prone to motion sickness, either of these bus rides is going to be very unpleasant. Um, They are along mountain roads, and uh, actually they're along valley roads, but the the river valleys are winding, and uh, you do sometimes go... Up along the the ridges of the mountain, not the ridges, the edges of the mountains. And so, if you have motion sickness issues, which which I do not, but um, it it might be very challenging. One extra note on lodging is that camping is forbidden, and I say more about this in later in this podcast. There is one place where. There was a sign explaining that it was privately owned and open to use by people passing by, and that makes it legal. And so it was a very nicely maintained place, and it relies on the kindness of strangers. So if you stay there, you must be very careful to treat it well, otherwise I'm sure it won't continue to be available that means cleaning up after yourself doing your best to restock the firewood and generally leaving the place nicer than you found it but that place was about a day well it was it was less than a day's hike from koya headed south so it's a very useful location it means that you could take the train to koya in the morning uh, in osaka start hiking mid-morning and still be at stay in this place that night the location was on the kohechi uh, about two kilometers south of a hamlet called omata o-m-a-t-a in english i i can't describe the kanji for you uh But Omata is in the place where the Kohechi crosses Route 733. Uh, So just south of there is where this cabin is. I cannot make any sort of guarantee that it will be available in the future, but it's, uh, it's a good place to know about. So as I just explained, our last day, so the first day as you head south, was shorter than we anticipated. We were under the impression it would be a full day of hiking. That's how it looked on the map. But there was a fair amount of road marching. It did not have as much vertical relief as the other days. It was generally less challenging than we expected. And we knocked it out in half a day without straining ourselves. And therefore... That means that you could take the train to Koya, start hiking, and still do the route in four days or less. It was the least inspiring of the four days. We were blessed with good weather, and that day started raining, so we did not mind that it was less inspiring and more uh, of marching along the pavement. But if if you're headed south, um, you know, keep heart, because it it's pretty good that day, but it gets much, much, much better. And it's, it's a fabulous hike. I think that's, that's most of the notes that I have to add. Um, so I will pause this. I'm, I'm glad to be back in the saddle, so to speak, and, uh, and putting out episodes. And I will pass this along to, to the recording that I did several months ago in Japan. It's good to be back. Thank you for coming back and and listening again. Hello. This episode will be about the Kumano Kodo's Kohechi route. The Kumano Kodo has five routes, and uh, the second most difficult one is the Kohechi, the route that most people think of when they think of the Kumano Kodo in Japan is the Nakahechi. Uh, I am currently hiking the Kohechi. I just finished the third day. Um, we are headed north, which is the opposite of the traditional direction and the opposite of what almost everyone else does. So we've done the what normally would be the second, third, and fourth days. Of this four-day route. Uh, my hiking partner is Matt Malcolmson and I will let him introduce himself.
1: Hi, my name is Matt Malcolmson. I've uh, known Chris for quite a while. I'm originally from the UK but I've lived in Japan on and off for, for many, many years. Um, I used to run a inbound tour operator called Oku Japan which I built up and Oku Japan operates uh, walking tours in various sort of historical trails around Japan. Um, I've never walked the Kohechi before. This is my first time, but I've walked the Nakahechi and the Ohechi, which is another of the Kumano Kodo trails. So the Kumano Kodo is around 700 kilometers total of trail network. Um, very, very old. They all were various ways of getting in medieval period from Kyoto and Osaka down to the three grand shrines of Hongu, Hayatama, and Nachi. Um, So the Kohechi is one of these routes. And uh, as Chris said, the Kohechi traditionally starts in Mount Koya, um, which is a center of the Shingon sect of Buddhism. And over four days, travels down to Hongu Grand Shrine, um, which is the objective of all of these pilgrimage trails. Um, the Kohechi is generally known to be the hardest of the Kodo trails. Um, it's got more ascent, uh, and mainly it's more remote, so there are fewer choices of accommodation. Um, there's less help on hand if things go wrong, um, a lot of the mountains don't have any phone signal, um, although I think probably Chris would agree with me. The the trail has been easier than we thought. Uh, I've been wanting to do it for, for many years, but I had always shied away because people told me sort of horror stories of extremely remote mountaintop hiking. Um, and it certainly hasn't been the case. It's been mainly in, predominantly in the forest, um, but a really beautiful trail, uh, extremely nice um, just lovely walking, uh, not too rocky, lots of leaves, um, nice views every so often, um, and very varied. And w- what do you think, Chris?
0: I would agree with most of that. Um, of course, I've, I've covered another of the five trails, the Omini Okagake Michi, in an earlier podcast episode. Um, I think that one is considered more difficult, but it's almost ruled out. Because it's not something that most hikers would even attempt. Um, the Omeniokugake Michi, as discussed in that earlier episode, is, is more of a sort of Shugendo exercise, I yeah, think.
1: Not really considered part of the Kumarokodo.
0: Right. Um, so uh, Shugendo is a religious group. Um, I'm completely unqualified to to discuss them or
1: well, the Shugendo is a syncretism of uh, Buddhism, Chinese Taoism, and Japanese Shintoism. So it's a kind of um, ascetic mountain religion um, where there are people called yamabushi who are mountain priests. So there is no organised congregation. There's no um, you know regular service, uh, but they lead various sort of ascetic pilgrimage up up to. Mountaintop shrines and and perform various um, ceremonies, <laughs> um, but very much a kind of uh, and the interesting thing is most people who are involved in Shugendo, who are the the Yamabushi, they it's it's in some ways a hobby. They have a day job. In fact, I know one. He's um, he's a kayak guide and he runs a cafe, and so this is something he does as part of you know his lifestyle, it doesn't doesn't dominate his life.
0: Right, and uh, Shigendo is known for I'm not sure how to describe it, but physical feats and so the the cliffs and scrambling on rocks and and sheer drops of the omenokodake michi um, are more in keeping with that style of. Hiking, if we're going to call it that. Adventuring. <laughs> um, whereas the Kohechi is, first of all, very much a part of the Kumano Kodo, because it goes from the major shrine in Koya to the major shrine uh, in, in Hongu. Um, and these these paths are about 1,300 years old, I think. And So the Kohetchi is an established pilgrimage route. It is standard hiking. There's no rock scrambling involved at all. Um, You are definitely uh, climbing dramatic uh, increases in altitude, but it's not outside of the norm, one might say. Um, on the three days we've had, we've climbed about 1,000 meters each day. And if you look back at another previous episode of mine, um, Roko Mountain in uh, above Kobe is... Uh, it's, it's 5 o'clock, so you can hear the chimes outside. <laughs> and... Um, this is in Japan. There's often a 5 o'clock time in local areas. So, uh, the, the Kohechi is very much a hiking trail. Um, as Matt said, the lodging possibilities are very limited. And um, I, I think it it is not something... It's not a beginner's trail.
1: Um, yeah, but there are there are accommodations. I mean, there's there's yes. two or three choices in each night, and it's not that's uh, true. It's not um, you know outside the reach of, of anybody, even a non-Japanese speaker. And we've seen many, of, many many foreigners who I would say probably for a second time in Japan, and they may not be doing any other trails.
0: Although, thank you. Yeah, and and they don't and they don't have any Japanese language, yeah. and and they're getting along fine. So it's it's not out of reach. Um, but if you are not already used to dealing with hiking these, these altitude gains or uh, hiking on, on a trail with a sheer drop on one side, um, then you might want to start with something else and, and work to this. Yeah, um,
1: I think the other thing is that um, if it is your first time in Japan and you certainly want to have the cultural aspect, um, then the Nakahetchi is, you know, has more of that cultural aspect. Although the Nakahechi uh, is, you know, if you search for Kamano Kodo on the internet, the Nakahechi is the one that will come up, and that's the one that everybody talks about. There are organized tours on it, self-guided, guided tours, a lot of individual travelers. So um, the main problem on the Nakahechi is the accommodations are full now, yeah. really, a lot of the time. So... um that can be, you know, that can be a challenge as well. I think the, probably then the one advantage of the Kohechi is it's it has it's much less um, busy as a trail than the the Nakahetchi. Uh, although it's not it's not on the scale of something in Europe like the Tour Mont Blanc, it's still you know popular for a, a trail in Japan.
0: Yeah, the the first day um, we passed maybe half a dozen people going in the opposite direction. Yeah. And as I explained it at the beginning, we're because we're going in the opposite direction from everybody else, we basically are seeing everybody who's hiking on the trail. Yeah. Um, the second day we saw probably a little more, but I don't think more than a dozen. Um, today, out of people who were clearly hiking the Kohechi. It was between half a dozen and a dozen. Yeah. So, and this is late May, which is still really in the peak season for doing this. And um, we did this over a long weekend. Well, it's a, it's Memorial Day weekend for Americans. So, um, it's not a long weekend for Japanese. But we did it over a weekend. Um, so, Friday through Monday. And... that's when you would expect it to be most crowded, and it's not. <laughs> um, the accommodations, th- there aren't that many spots available, so you would want to book ahead. And, um, but if you do that, you shouldn't have any trouble. Um, you are not allowed to camp, to wild camp on this trail. There are people who are doing that I cannot condone it because it's it's not allowed. It's a World Heritage site. But I did see one person camping who, it was 9 o'clock, and somebody commented on a Facebook thread later that they'd seen the same people at 10 o'clock um, with their hammock Hung in a, a shelter at a, a crowded, all right, not a crowded, but a, a well-trafficked intersection, and uh, he was brushing his teeth outside. And as I commented um, online, if you don't see Japanese people doing something, then please don't let them see you doing it. I it actually is is. It looks very much like, shall I say, it looks very much like many of the Japanese that, that pass us southbound are actually camping themselves. But we haven't seen any Japanese camping. <laughs> um, they're being very, I, I think essentially that they're setting up camp in, a, in an, on a place that's not noticeable at dusk, and they are breaking camp and starting to hike again at dawn. And um, I know for myself, when I have wild camped in Japan, I dry camp. I don't camp next to a water source. And I do not have a flame because the things, the thing that people are most concerned about, as far as I can tell, in Japan is uh, the possibility of a forest fire and of having a fire get out of control. So take that as you will. Again, the bottom line is that wild camping is not allowed on any of the Kumano trails. So the first day, how would you describe the first day that that we had? Um, Let me think, no, let's do it the other way around. Our first day was the fourth day. So the day we just had is the second day. And I'll I'll come back uh, after this uh, alone and, and fill in the last day uh, Tomorrow is forecast to rain anyway, so it's it's not looking like we'll have the the, the most pleasurable experience possible but um, the Third day which we just completed wait, wait our third day the second day which we just completed um, Goes over what was O Oboko Oboko Mountain. Dake. Yeah, that's it. Um, and that's the highest peak on the route. It's 1,344 meters. Um, it is quite high. Uh, that is, I think, over 4,000 feet, if you're talking in feet. And um, it, it has a, a steep, not, I don't think either of us found it very scenic. Um, the climb from the north is, is steep and not very scenic, but it would probably be your first thing in the morning, and when you break out on top, the summit is the loveliest summit I've seen on this hike, and that is saying something, because it is an extremely scenic hike. Um, and then there was a long downhill from there uh, all the way into the next town. Um, so The third day, if you're southbound, was yesterday. Matt, how would you describe that? Um, There
1: was a relatively short uphill, um, followed by a very long downhill. So you lose a fair amount of height. And I would say that um, that downhill section was pretty all the way up a ridgeline, so you had one massive drop on one side and then a short way after a massive drop on the right side. Um suddenly some place you'd have to watch your footing. I mean it's it's forested. Um but the the length of the drops, the the depth of the drops is so much that if you were to fall there's a possible, you know, good chance you'd fall all the way down. Um so certainly something I probably wouldn't want to do by myself. Um, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly very nice. It's very classic, um, and uh, you have a, this long downhill, not too steep, and then you get down to Miyodaguchi, which is the that. Um, sorry, to Totsukawa, which is is the is the next stop, which is a nice hot spring
0: village. Actually, there was a road march. So after um, you descend yeah, this right. long, long, uh, yeah. dramatic. Ridge line um, there's a two hours or more of marching on the roadside. My joints do not get along with walking on pavement at all, but I have to say that if one has to walk along a road, it was extremely scenic it It was walking along river valleys and such and um it was it was very pretty um, so. I, uh, I I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, although I still don't enjoy walking on pavement. Um, following up on what Matt said about not doing this alone, I would also have the same caution about the, the danger of that ridgeline. Uh, there are precipitous drops. It's easy to slip or lose your balance throughout that. So either uh, I would... Recommend the best thing is to have someone that you're walking with, but if that's not possible, I would certainly recommend uh, carrying a personal tracker. Um, there are several on the market, um, and then you would want to have someone checking to make sure that you your dot kept moving on the map. Um, these GPS trackers can be set to send a signal every ten minutes, so that a person can see your progress. I know one is the spot transceiver, S-P-O-T. Another one is uh, called Zoleo, Z-O-L-E-O. And then you have a Garmin unit.
1: Yes, it's a Garmin inReach unit. It's, a, it's a, called the GPS 66i, I think. So it's a sort of full-size handheld um, GPS unit with mapping, It but it also has the inReach technology built in. I think Garmin bought inReach. Some years ago, you know, Garmin's obviously the GPS company. InReach was a satellite tracking company and they bought them and then incorporated in the um, uh, tracking, did satellite tracking. So the the advantage of that is that you can can be tracked and also you can send short messages, short emails, as long as you have a subscription uh, without, you know, cell phone, mobile coverage. Um, which is useful. It has an SOS function, it has an SOS button, so right. um you know, if there's something uh, an emergent emergency situation then you can get help.
0: Yeah, and the spot and the Zolio are like that. I think there are a couple of other un- similar units on the market. Um but these these units communicate through satellite. So you're never worried about cell tower coverage. Um and the the thing is either you're going to want to pay for one of the services that monitors or, better yet, to have someone follow your dot uh, who actually cares about you <laughs> and make sure that it keeps moving.
1: Yeah, it just gives you a link and you can, see, you can email the link to as many people as you want and they can just see you on the – they can see where you are. They can also see the track of where you've walked, which is useful.
0: Right, and if you're traveling in the wilderness, as Matt said – uh, it also has the capability for um, text messaging or email. Um, and and I think now all of these units do. I think uh, the Spot and maybe one of the others, they save some weight by only having an interface that, that uh, connects with a uh, smartphone so that you do your texting or emailing from the smartphone through the unit and it goes up over the satellite rather than having an interface on the unit yeah um,
1: yeah it collect, connects connect via Bluetooth to my, my that, phone that's it to the GPS.
0: okay so the fourth day of the trail which was our first day how would you describe that Matt
1: um it was another very nice day
0: I mean it was just very
1: it was it was varied. There was, um, you know, it's 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 climbing up to a pass and then going down again. But it's just um, there were some nice views. Um, it's certainly a long, a long, very very steady descent. I mean, you go up to a, a pass called Hatanashi Toge. Toge means mountain pass in Japanese, um, and uh, so literally means never-ending ridge. And um, It's it's a long, long way down. You get down to a... Eventually, you get down to a road with a bus stop, and then you have a choice. You can uh, take a bus back to Hongu, which is the the, the nearest town, which is where the shrine is, or you can actually then um, walk back, or continue walking, um, gaining altitude again, then descending into Hongu, which is really the more... um, you know, the better way, the more romantic way to do it, you, you end up walking right into the Grand Shrine of Hongu, um, as pilgrims would have done, you know, many hundreds of years ago. And that's certainly something which is memorable.
0: Well, and that's that's the traditional ending to that, to the pilgrimage. And the the, the yes. point is to be hiking to that. Yeah. Um, so uh, there are other hikes like Pacific Northwest Trail or, or some of the... Uh, Uh, mountain chain trails in Europe where you end up putting your foot in the sea and it's it's somewhat like that moment when you when you reach the reach the water's edge and put your foot in in the water (laughs) Um, is to arrive at at Hongu Um, that when you look at the profile of the route that fourth day the southernmost day is like a, a an exaggerated pyramid. It's um, just kind of a spike. so there's there's a it's a steep climb up and a steep climb down. It, um, of the three days, personally, I thought that fourth day was the second most beautiful. And I thought that the third day, so for us yesterday, was the most beautiful just fabulous uh, that that long extreme ridge was 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 just stunning uh, all along the way um, but you were picking your way along carefully <laughs> the whole way and uh and today was was also gorgeous as i said the the climb, you if you're heading southbound, the first climb of the morning uh, up to the summit is not as uh, scenic, but uh, it's climbing, so it's your first climb of the morning, perhaps it's okay that you're kind of staring at the ground, putting one foot in front of the other, and then you have a, a gorgeous descent, and actually you, you run along the ridgeline for quite a while. Uh, you run along the, the, the just from one mountain top to another, over about, I'd say, there there, is there is one false summit right after the main summit that is, uh, gorgeous. the The main summit is, perhaps the single most beautiful spot I've seen so far, on the trail, um, and that's that 1,344 meter, uh, summit, uh, with flowering trees on top and then and then you run along the ridge and then descend and uh there's no road walking and so that's a very nice aspect of this second day as you head southbound that there's no road walking involved also um when you're climbing up um the about halfway up the slope there's a cabin and it's it's got a sign explaining in Japanese and English that it's a privately owned cabin and that the owner is making it available for people to use or to stay in. Uh, free of charge and it's unattended. So it's it's on our system and of course, uh, you know, if one were to use it, please respect the uh respect the place and, and don't leave any garbage and um you know, clean up after yourself, put everything away. Uh, these things are uh, taught in elementary school in Japan, so that uh, when someone does something like this it's culturally it's understood that it's it's a very rigid thing within Japanese society that you would you would clean up and put everything away but um, But you need to understand that that's the expectation. As it would be in many places, but it's particularly rigid in Japan. Matt, what would you say are safety considerations, uh, safety security considerations to think about for this hike?
1: Well, I think because it's it's going up to you know altitude with with very um, long drops. If you fall, then uh, you need to. I you know I think it's probably recommendable to do it you know, as a group of two or more. Um, But if you do have to do it by yourself, I highly recommend a GPS device. And uh, there's also a system in Japan, there's two things you can do. There's a system in Japan um, whereby at the start of most trails, there's a um, piece of paper you can fill out and explain and write down your name and your contact information and the route you're doing. And uh, so that, uh, you know, if you're reported missing, then people can can know when you were doing the trail. Um, The other thing is quite important is, especially in rural Japan, uh, call ahead to the accommodation you're going to stay at uh, the following night. So you can call the night before or you can call in the morning. Just give them a rough time. It's it's partly etiquette and it's partly safety. Um, uh, It's... um, The way that foreigners in rural Japan will travel and the way that Japanese travel is quite different. So, Japanese will, um, you know, usually tell them what time they're going to arrive. They'll also, if they have to change the plans or they just can't make it, they will never do a no-show. And uh, in Japan, even if you don't pay a deposit or you don't secure the booking with your credit card, you are expected to to make good the payment. <clears throat> because obviously you're keeping a space that somebody else could have used and they could have sold, and also they will have prepared food. You know, there's a, a lot of effort goes into the cooking. So if you're doing it up, not, not only have you deprived them, or you've cost them time and effort in making food for you. And sadly, foreigners are getting a reputation for no shipping. Um So partly out of safety and partly out of just good manners, it is very important to call ahead um, when you're going to arrive and obviously cancel or change when you're not going to. Um, apart from that, I think you know uh, other dangers. So there, there are snakes in Japan, and there are s- well uh, some varieties of poisonous snakes. I've seen snakes. I've never seen a poisonous one. I think the I think might be the habu. I might get might be getting this wrong, which is the poisonous short brown. But they, you know, like most snakes, they. Feel you're coming a long time before you see them, and they'll get out of your way um so it's very rare. There aren't really any other particular annoyances um you you know you do have to watch out at certain times of the year um landslides are an issue, and they tend to happen around the rainy season, which is usually sort of middle of June to middle of July, or sometimes. After typhoons, obviously for large amounts of water being dumped on hillsides, um, which may have been denuded of trees. So, um, but that's sort of just common sense. Can't really think of anything else, which is no whether you know, there aren't any large carnivorous animals. So there, there are. Well, there are, and there are bears. Okay, well, yeah, there are, there are bears. I mean, I've seen, you know, in 30 years in Japan, I've seen bears once. There are. Deer, and there are uh, wild boar. Wild boar are dangerous. Yeah, they're dangerous. So uh, bears, most Japanese uh, hikers will, well, a lot of Japanese hikers will carry bear bells, and that's one way to, you know, warn the bear you're coming. I've never done that, and I've never seen one. So...
0: There are more bear encounters in japan than there are in the united states for instance uh in in terms of altercations i encounter bears far more frequently in the u.s than i do in japan i have never seen one in japan i've run into them in my driveway in the u.s um they've come up to the porch you know screened in porch um i've Nearly tripped over them in the forest, and I'm not exaggerating. So um, they're very common, but uh, these are the black bears on the east coast of the US who are not threatening, whereas the black bears in Japan uh, are known for being much more aggressive and dangerous if one encounters them. But they, almost all of the encounters are actually between um, villagers collecting vegetables, I think, this kind of thing, collecting mushrooms or vegetables, and not usually hikers who are on better-traveled trails and are not off of a trail uh, the way that people collecting vegetables would be. So it's it's easy to exaggerate the danger of bears in Japan. Um, wild boars have tusks and will charge you and can do a lot of damage, um, and The other one that I always think of is uh, Suzume bachi, who have recently become an invasive species in North America and are known as murder hornets. Um, They swarm, um, they're over an inch long, and uh, they are uh, supposedly nightmarish. I've seen um, a number of warning signs for the Suzume bachi uh, Suzume Bachi means sparrow bee <laughs> okay so in other words, bee's as big as a sparrow uh, um, so I've seen a number of warning signs, but I've never seen a suzum- Suzume bachi so it's another of those alleged threats that's easy to exaggerate beyond its actual seriousness. Uh, it's v- very unlikely that you would have any encounter and uh, there are usually warning signs um, although they might not be in English, but you can tell what they are. They're bright yellow and lots of exclamation points, and you know something's wrong. So those are the wildlife issues. Um, There isn't as much wildlife Mm. in Mm. Japanese uh, woods as there could be, um, partly due to the fact that there's... Uh, A lot of it is sugi plantation or cedar tree plantation, uh, which is a monoculture and therefore doesn't encourage very much uh, wildlife. Okay, so we went over what the terrain is like. I will do a follow-on to talk about the first day, which will be our fourth day. Um, Transportation to and from the, uh, the two ends of the hike. Um, Koyasan is exceedingly simple there's a train from downtown Osaka that's all <laughs> I mean you can drive you can walk, you can bicycle you can take buses but you would normally just take the train because you're not going to be coming back there so um, that's, the, that's the really easy way to start at the southern terminus at Hongu Taisha Um, It's much more complicated. Uh, You're taking, if you're using public transportation, you're taking buses out to trains. And there's one bus that heads straight north to Nara, and then there are buses that head east and west. Uh, The one that heads west is to Tanabe Mm -hmm. on the coast, and then the one that heads east is to Shingu. Shingu, yeah. Right. And there are train stations in Tanabe and Shingu that you can then transfer and take the train. Um, From Tanabe, you would probably go north again to Osaka, and um, from Shingu, you would go north to Mie and... um, Nagoya. Nagoya, the Nagoya-era area. Um, So if you're worrying about international airports, then there's the main international airport would be in in osaka those bus routes and the train bus connections can take over half a day to to make your way down to hongutaisha so that needs to be considered yeah you really need
1: a, a travel day um you know uh at the end at least and, and really at the beginning you know both sides you need to going to need to have you know, at least half a day to get to and from the trail, so you won't be able to uh, to travel
0: out and and start walking, or likewise finish and, and travel. Well, if you're headed south, you could stay in downtown Osaka and take a very early train to Koya, and start hiking, and that would be workable. But at the southern terminus, that's a full day of hiking. Heading at the southern terminus. Um, you have a full day hike the fourth day of the of the of trip, so you probably need um, lodging in Hongu, um before you travel out um, on on that travel day at the end. Um, you could also, for instance, uh, continue on the Nakasendo, Nakahetchi rather, over to Shingu. Uh, or to, over to Nachi. To Nachi, yeah. Uh, that's another two days along the uh, the Nakahetchi, um, or um, you know, just take buses and look at the other major temples in that area or shrines in that area. Um, and if the season is right, uh, the beaches are famous. There are nice aquariums. Um, there are other things to do. Um, there's a, a major zoo with with uh, some of the few pandas uh, in Japan. So, um, there are other things to do in that, uh, in that part of, of the peninsula. Thank you for listening to the Trails Around the World podcast. Please visit us online at trailsaroundtheworld.com, and please join our Facebook group under the same name. If you liked this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review on your favorite podcast source. This is Sky King, and I look forward to you joining us next time. In the meantime, happy trails to you, and please remember to leave no trace as you enjoy the outdoors.